Uh, let's pray before we uh, look at God's word. Father, we just uh, ask that you'd be with us uh, here as we meet together, as we look at your word, and that indeed, as Tony prayed, that it would be your word that uh, we would hear and that you would work in our hearts to uh, bring us understanding. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, perhaps if I can uh, deal with uh, Psalm 95 first, as uh, Tony gave an impromptu uh, extra sermon part to preach. It is a great psalm, and it's quite often used as a call to worship. And, you know, it extols, uh, exhorts a congregation to let us come and sing praises to our God. You can imagine in Old Testament times a, a priest or a worship leader at the front of a vast temple shouting out and extolling uh, the gathered uh, people there to let's come into the presence, let's give thanksgiving, uh, make a joyful noise and then goes on to describe the reasons why because the Lord is a great God, he is, his hand is in the creation, he has done all these great things but of course when you describe what God has done for us there's always that little edge that says because God is a great God he is asking us to worship him and Failing to worship him does have its consequences. And so when he's talking about uh, not entering into the rest, that's not entering into God's uh, glory with him in heaven and in, in eternity. So that is uh, part of the topic of what we're going to be talking about today. So again, thanks for sticking with me. This is Sermon 5 in a series on the Ten Commandments. And we're actually looking at the fourth commandment today um, about honouring uh, the Sabbath. So quite often... On a weekend, or on maybe on a Friday, perhaps you're talking to work colleagues or talking to friends and they might ask, what are you up to for the weekend? And do you normally say, well, I'm doing this on Saturday, blah, 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 and then on Sunday, I'm going to church. How often do you actually throw that out there? It's actually normally quite a good conversation starter. Someone might just ask, you know, what did you get up to on the weekend? You say, well, I went to church, and you might talk about it, and what about you? Do you go to church? And it's a great opening line to be able to start having a conversation. But perhaps my two questions for you today at the start of this is, how is your day going and what are your plans for today? So here we are, gathered in a church for our regular Sunday morning service, and you might ask, why do we do this? Now, if I was to just suspend disbelief for a little while and say that there are aliens, and if we were to think, if aliens from outer space were to observe the world from a spaceship, one bit of evidence that there are Christians on this planet is that they gather on a certain day, at a certain time of the week, at particular places and at particular times. And if that same alien was able to travel in a time machine and scan history back through the last 2,000 years, this alien, he, she or it, um, would see this pattern repeated throughout the centuries. Now, perhaps this alien would see great differences in these meetings. In a megachurch in America, there might be 14 services spread across five campuses. Other people might kneel before altars shrouded in incense. Maybe others only sing psalms given out by their presenter without music. Or maybe others will be shouting and lifting their hands in apparent religious ecstasy. Or maybe others would sit and listen quietly to biblical preaching. But generally... They will all meet today on Sunday. So you might ask yourselves, why is this so? Is it just convenience? Because nothing else is normally on on a Sunday. That's our free day. We can get together. Is it tradition? Or perhaps is it the obedience to the fourth commandment? So thinking about that, we should ask ourselves, 
what should we plan to do today? Or even better, what should we plan not to do today? Now, I could preach a variety of sermons in my mind about this commandment, and you know, most of those would be perhaps stinging rebukes about how we as Christians in this present age all dishonour the Lord's day. And all those sermons would pretty much be a stinging judgment upon myself. Um, you know, it sort of reminds me of uh, you know, things, things that folks who don't go to church might say to us if you invite them to church, you know, maybe in street evangelism. They might say, why would I go to church? You know, it's just full of hypocrites. You know, just the whole church is just full of hypocrites. And you might say, no, buddy, you're wrong. We're not full. There's plenty of room. Come along. <laughs> so, you know, as we know, we are sinners and we are uh, always break the commandments. And yet here we are wanting to talk about the Ten Commandments, how they apply to us and how we should strive to obey them. So I'm not here to judge any of you. And I'd like you to examine yourself in the light of what God has to say to us about what it means. So I believe that the Ten Commandments has much to say to us about the work and the rest and the redemption and how we need to obey this commandment and also what God expects of us. Now that has changed and the coming of Jesus Christ has made all the difference. So as is my want in the back of your sermon, you'll see sermon notes uh, there and we're going to work through these topics as we go through. So perhaps we should start with, firstly, the meaning of the fourth commandment. So looking at verse 8 in Exodus that we just read in Exodus 20, and we'll read, uh, actually I'll read it through for you again. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. Now, firstly, this word Sabbath. The Sabbath day is a day when you stop your normal work. But at verse 8, it introduces a positive command telling you to do something. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, I'm glad that we have the ESV in this church because if you have an NIV or maybe some other versions you will probably see the language that says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And this isn't necessarily a particularly great translation from the original, and most other English translations would agree, um, because it should read in your mind, remember the Sabbath day in order to keep it holy. So the emphasis is not so much on remembering the day, it's actually about keeping it holy. Now, this uh, could easily be demonstrated in your practical life. Um, for my wife's birthday, if I came in and said to her, hey, I've remembered your birthday, and then I walk out the door and nothing else said, that probably doesn't actually work. Remembering the birthday is great, but actually celebrating it probably has a touch more significance. So, again, we're focusing on hallowing or making holy, celebrating the Sabbath day and making it holy. So the fourth commandment is not mainly about working for six days and resting for one. It's actually mainly about making that seventh day holy. So why must you rest, uh, work six days and rest one? It's so that the Sabbath day can be made holy. Now you've not obeyed the fourth commandment if all you have done is work six days and just rested for one. So resting, that's just a means to an end.
the greater objective of this day is to make it holy. So if that is true, then we'd better come to grips with what it means to make this day holy. What does it mean to hallow the Sabbath, the Sabbath day? So let's perhaps consider the second point I've put in the bulletin about what was the original design of the seventh day and then we can extend into seeing what God's purpose for that day is for us today. So where we read back in Exodus, the argument here in Exodus is that we should hallow this day because God hallowed it. So from verse 11, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. So we need to go back to Genesis to have a look at this. Look at Genesis to see how God made the universe to start with. So if we looked in Genesis chapter 2 at verse 1 and, and on, we would read these words. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done and he rested, so he Sabbathed if you can use a word like that, on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested, he Sabbathed, from all his work that he had done in creation. So why did God rest? Well, God rested because his creating work was done. It was complete. The creation that he had made was perfect. God had done the work and he had done his work And it was all very good. And on the seventh day, he rejoices in what he has done. He rests, he Sabbaths from it. Now, did God rest because he was tired? Has six days of creating work work, worn him out? Well, of course not. And indeed, you might rightly ask, how come God just didn't do it in one day? How come he just didn't snap his fingers and all of existence just came into existence in just a single word? Well, we don't have the answer for that specifically in the Bible. What we can say is that he didn't, and he took six days over it, and then he Sabbathed on the seventh day. But again, thinking about why didn't, why didn't uh, he, why did he spread his work over six days and then rest? Well, we could look at how maybe he had in his mind a design for us when he created the universe. We could say, we could think that he was planning a pattern of six days of work and one day of rest so that we could make that one day holy, which would be right for us. As part of his creation, he created a pattern that would be good for us, six days of work and one day of rest. Now, it's interesting to note in Genesis 2 that the seventh day is described in a different way to the other days. It is a day that is without end. For every day in Genesis 1, the first six days we read... And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And on the second day, and on the third, and so on, we can see that same language. But there's no such formula in Genesis about the end of the seventh day. There is no time where God picks up from where he left off and begins creating his work again. His work of creation is finished. It is complete. And God continues ever after to rest from it. So the biblical picture here is that God is still enjoying the rest of the seventh day. It's not a rest of inactivity, of course. In John chapter 5, Jesus is debating with the Jewish authorities about the meaning and the purpose of the Sabbath. And he says in verse 17, 
My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. So God has been doing his work of sustaining the universe and ruling history and blessing and saving his people and judging sinners ever since the six days of creation. So God has not been doing nothing, but he has rested from his original work of creation. So the rest that God is enjoying is referenced in Hebrews 4 in the passage that we've just had read. Constantly in the passage, God calls it my rest, or the writer calls it his rest. It's God's rest. It's the rest God is enjoying and has enjoyed since the creation of the universe. So the big question really is, will we enter that rest? Hebrews 4 says that we enter it by believing the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The eternal rest, God's perfect rest, is that eternity in which the new creation that we are looking forward to is realised. So Jesus calls us to enter into that rest. He says, come to me and I will give you rest. It's a call to that same rest. Now, don't imagine that this rest is some kind of fluffy, floating round on clouds, strumming harps with spiritual hands and St. Peter at the gates. Um, it's the kind of rest that is where a full life is enjoyed in perfect creation. Now, it's often said as a common phrase that when someone is very sick or perhaps they're totally exhausted or maybe even have a look at a picture of me after I've just run a five-kilometre run, that they're just a shell of themselves. They're just not their normal self. And now we know that expression, don't we? But this life that we enjoy now, even at its best, is just a shell of what our life will be like in heaven. We will have imperishable bodies, fully physical, perfect imperishable bodies. And what you are at your most robust and your most healthy right now is just a shell of what you'll be like. Now, I don't often commentate on other preachers, but I'll say that you know, Joel Olstein, the famous televangelist, who talks about live your best life now, I don't think he really gets it. We're not living our best life now. Our best life will be in heaven. So this life that we're talking about is a life that is full of richness, eternal life in physical and spiritual that we should be looking forward to. So when we speak of God's rest, think of that Don't think of it as a passive life of just eternal, ethereal, invisible, floating on clouds, spiritual sort of thing. Think of it as an active, full, rich life. That was God's original purpose for the original perfect, unending seventh day. Maybe you haven't made this connection about what that seventh day was meant to be. God's seventh day in Genesis is blessed, holy, unending, And it provides the context in which the rest of the human history was supposed to occur. The remainder of chapter 2 in Genesis pitches the ideal human life living in the Garden of Eden. That unending seventh day is in the context of which the human life was meant to be lived. Holy, blessed, perfect, lived in perfect communion with the Creator who finished his work of creating and is resting from it and is delighting in it. That's the vision that the seventh day of rest is presenting. That eternal seventh day, blessed, made holy, joy-filling everyone in everything. But obviously if you know your Bible and you've read on beyond Genesis 2, 
and you roll into Genesis 3, we all know what happened. Adam and Eve rebelled and rejected God. They wanted more than that what they had, and mankind fell into sin. And the idyllic seventh day of perfect human rest, that life that Adam and Eve had, was shattered. So what does this mean for our seventh day life? So that brings me on to the third point, looking at resting from and resting for. So that eternal, idyllic, perfect seventh day was shattered and we, in Adam and Eve, ran away from God and went our own way. And we've been doing that ever since. So what does God do with the idea of the seventh day? What does God do? He's enjoying it and he's been enjoying it since the end of the sixth day. And he could go just on enjoying it and leaving it leaving us to our own devices. When sin came into the world, we shattered the seventh day as far as our world was concerned. So maybe from God's perspective, he could just say, tough, tough for them. But God doesn't do that. Instead, he reintroduces the seventh day. He does it by instituting the Sabbath day. So perhaps if you've been paying attention, you might have noticed that the word Sabbath doesn't actually appear in Genesis 2. The explicit idea of Sabbath first only appears in the Bible in Exodus 16 and then in Exodus 20 it is incorporated as part of the Ten Commandments. So you might ask yourself, did Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the others and the rest of Genesis after the fall keep the Sabbath? Well, we simply don't know and there's no evidence to say that they did but there's no evidence to say they did not. But God explicitly reintroduces the Sabbath or rest idea back into the life of his people immediately after he redeems them from slavery in Egypt. Egypt, a place where no rest at all was possible. And get this, God uses the words to speak the Sabbath in the same way that he spoke it on the seventh day. In Genesis 2, it says that he blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. In Exodus 20, it says he blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The idea of the holy, blessed perfect ideal human life of the seventh of the seventh day is not dead it is alive and well and living in the sabbath day so you might ask yourself how does god go about introducing the possibility of the eternal rest of the perfect seventh day well obviously he does it by sending jesus christ so that as in the passage of hebrews 4 which was read By believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we might enter into God's rest. The Sabbath points to Jesus, who is our rest, the one who gives us the seventh day blessings again. So that the gospel, when we, you know, the gospel, the good news that Jesus, the Son of God, who came to earth to live a perfect life and die for our sins on the cross, he enables us to enter into the blessing of the seventh day blessings again, the Sabbath. So now in this life, while we wait for that perfect seventh day, we're supposed to work and rest like God did. God rests after creation. He stands back from it with a satisfaction and a delight in the creation and rejoices in all his work. Now I'm sure all of us have experienced a similar sort of thing when we've completed a difficult task. Maybe it's a student who's had a great, you know, big assignment or maybe uh, an exam, or maybe you've done something amazing in landscaping in your backyard and you've created a job, you've finished the job, it was hard, and it gives us some amazing satisfaction. But think of how different our rest in this life is from God's. 
God's rest is enduring. Our satisfaction is only temporary. God entered into his perfect rest, but we know that the rest that we might enjoy is only temporary. We for sure will be restless and wanting to always do something more, do something else. We might have this temporary sense of satisfaction, but our hearts will remain restless. God's rest is complete. Ours is partial. And we can rest for a while, but we always know there will be more to do. So God rests from works that are perfect, but our works by our own hands, they're always flawed. And there's no such thing as a job without some sort of drudgery because all our work suffers under the curse. Yes, our rest is different from God's rest. But our rest is meant to point to God's rest, to the rest that he has in store for us. God calls us to set aside one day in seven for resting from and resting for. So we rest from our work with all its drudgery and all its imperfection and all its distraction. And yet we rest for the eternal rest that God has waiting for us. We rest so we can look ahead to the day when we will enter into God's rest. That one day of rest focus our minds not on ourselves and the value of having a rest day, but on God and what he has reserved for us in his eternal rest, the rest that he is enjoying now and the rest that he invites us to join him in. How will we enter into that rest that God is enjoying now? That's what God wants for us. That's what the one day of rest is designed to point us to. But how will we how will we be ever able to enter that rest? Well, the, Hebrews, uh, the passage we read from Hebrews 4 points us to the way. Again, it says that we will enter that rest by believing the gospel. Our one day of rest in seven points to Jesus Christ who invites us into his rest. So let's pull this all together. Let's walk through five points here that we can probably talk about. Firstly, don't imagine that you can keep this commandment just by working six days and just resting for one. That six-in-one pattern is not the actual end to itself. It's designed for a purpose. It's designed so that you might make one day holy. Set that side day aside for God. That day is designed to allow you to rest from our own imperfect work and get a taste of God's eternal rest. Think about it as a whole day. It's not just a day for attending church in the morning and then working the rest of the day. Perhaps if you can't spare one whole day, maybe you're taking work far too seriously. Second, the day is not designed as a day for recuperation of people who get tired in working six days. God didn't wear himself out, yet he rested on the seventh day. We are to rest like he did. The day is designed to help us focus on God, focus on his, focus on his plans, focuses on, on his purposes. And yes, it does help for us to recover from tiredness. That's a secondary benefit, but not the actual purpose that God intended this day for. And thirdly, one full day puts every other day into perspective. No matter how earth-shattering or important your regular work might be, there is something more important than our work on this earth. What's more important is your relationship with God and where is that leading? Perhaps the fourth point, see what this commandment means for Mondays. It means that the part of the purpose of this is for tomorrow. Monday is 
a day to work so you can plan and have your day of rest of the Lord. The fourth commandment has a Monday bottom line. Sunday shouldn't be a day where we accidentally fall into, oh, I've still got all these things to do. We should actually plan our lives around making Sunday a day when we don't have work to do. And fifthly, see how this one-day, six-day pattern challenges our priorities week in, week out. Regular Sunday tests our priorities like nothing else. It happens every week of our lives. Can we spare even one day in seven? If we can't, what does that say about us? And what does that say about how we think about God? Now I'll acknowledge that the current world makes it difficult and challenges us. And in in discussions last week, we were talking about probably 20, 30 years ago, it was actually quite easy to come to church on a Sunday because, you know, societally we, you know, even those non-Christians would put aside Sunday. You know, uh, children's sport was generally never on a Sunday because everyone acknowledged that, yep, Sunday is when most people go to church and take their kids to church. And almost out of a practical consideration, sport wasn't played on a Sunday because they wouldn't get a team. You can certainly see in the last 20 years that the erosion and the value of Sunday as the Lord's Day has certainly occurred and it keeps presenting challenges to us about how we can set ourselves aside from the rest of society to deny ourselves those opportunities or to those things we might like to do and yet make Sunday a day for the Lord. So perhaps I'll repeat the two questions I began with. How is your day going and what are your plans for today? And perhaps because I'm an engineer and can't count, I'll ask you a third question out of two. Where is your heart in all this? Where is your heart in looking at what God is asking us to do in this commandment? Let's pray. Father, we know that you challenge us daily by what the word has to say to us when we read the Bible and we see your standards of perfection and what you would desire for us to live in our life. And We are sinners and we know that we fail you every day, but we know that, Lord, you've provided a way for us to enjoy your eternal rest through Jesus Christ, our Saviour. Lord, help us to uh, take these words seriously, what you talk to us through the Bible, in that we might indeed focus our hearts upon what you command for us and not what we desire for ourselves. We pray that you'd be with us in this this week as we go forward, that we'd be able to uh, carry your name in a worthy way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.